Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Last week, if you missed it, we kicked off our new Christmas series called Wishlist. And this big idea that we came together with as a, as a church family is we wanted to explore if we could have a Christmas wish list, what would we put on it? And before we went forward, we went backwards. And so we talked about uh, one of my favorite memories as a kid and so many here today is when the JCPenney or Sears catalog would arrive and how we would take hours and days and weeks meticulously going page by page, circling and finding all the dreams that we had for our Christmas day. And I shared the joy of doing that, but also that disappointment we always had when you didn't get something. You were so happy for the gifts that you had, but then there was this little bit of pinch of like, oh, I didn't get that one thing. And then there's always, well, there's always next Christmas. And for me, it was the seven and a half foot G.I. Joe aircraft carrier called the USS Flag, which was the, has and still is the largest place that ever created because, of course, we're kids of the 80s. We had the coolest toys ever. And so this huge, monstrous toy, I never got it. And I was like, oh, I just wish I got the USS flag. But it was like a $350 toy in our terms nowadays. Like, and so I would never buy that for my kids. So uh, I totally understand why I never got it. And so we talked about this wish list. And as we grow older and we become adults, we start to get this dream and this hope that we have in our wish list things that are a little more practical. We start putting things like, I wish I could lose 10 pounds. I wish I could get that Ford F-150. That's on my wish list, by the way. Ford <laughs> F-150. I wish, and we put all these things down that really aren't about necessarily things anymore, material things, but they're actually about transformation, things that help to transform our lives. Because as we grow older, we start to realize that material things, though they may give us some fun and some joy for a short time, really what we're looking for are larger things that actually impact us every single day. Like this, I wish I was truly loved. I wish I was safe. I wish that someone really knew the real me and wasn't scared away. This is now our wish list as adults. Can you imagine that? Like even the relationships where we're basically almost all the way open, there's no human in the world who really knows how weird you are. The closest you're gonna come to that is a spouse, but really, and maybe a parent to a child somewhat, some ways, those intimate family relationships. But the truth is, is that we continue to cover ourselves. We still wear masks, we still don't let the deep, dark, secrets out because we're terrified that if somebody knew this about me, you would be scared off. Our insecurities, our fears. And so deep down inside, when we come into Christmas season, we start to say, you know, if I could have a wish list that matters, these are the things I wish for. What does it feel like to be truly loved just the way that I am? And so last week we explored a passage in John chapter 10, and Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. And he talks about this relationship between him being a shepherd and the image of sheep, which we are, and how a shepherd will 
lay down their life literally for their sheep, that the sheep know that can hear the voice of the shepherd and will come running. We talked about something we don't talk about often, is how dumb sheep are. That sheep will just follow in any random direction, including to their death or to their demise. And so the shepherd was constantly having to correct the sheep and protect them. And we talked about in John chapter 10 how he talks about there's this pen that's created and that there's a gate into the pen. And people who are not the shepherd, robbers and stealers and thieves, they're going to jump over the wall. They're going to come in through other means to steal the sheep. But sheep know the voice of the shepherd and they're terrified by strangers. Much like our dogs can know our voice and they hear your voice and they'll come running to you, those pets. And we said, cats are not in heaven because they're of the devil. They're terrible animals. So, all you cat people, I have a mic and you don't. So, but our, our pets know our voices, right? They hear us and they come running because they know that we are safe. Our pets know that we are safe. But what if you abused your pet? What if there was darkness to your pet? What if every time you said that pet's name, you would kick it as hard as you could? And then when you say its name, the reaction of that pet is to recoil and to run away. And Jesus gives this analogy, I'm the good shepherd, so when you hear my voice, you are safe and you come running to me because you know I have the best for you. But the dark one, the evil one, The ones outside of here, they're going to say your name and it should repel you in fear because they're here to destroy and to kill you. They're thieves and robbers, much like someone who would abuse or hurt their pet. But this is what's weird about us, right? We start blending voices together and we start saying that we hear these dark voices, but we don't run. We somehow are attracted to sinful, terrible things, to people who are here to hurt us, to kill us, to maim us. And Jesus says, don't listen to them. Listen to my voice, for I am the good shepherd. And so we wrote on our list last week, we hope and dream and wish for a leader that loves and cares for us. A leader that loves and cares for us. And so we checked that one. We circled it a hundred times. We put a star by it in an arrow and said, hey, God, can I please have this for Christmas? And now we're going to continue in our series today with a totally off different topic. We are going to hope for something big. And what we're hoping for today is not something you typically think of at Christmas time, but it is the catalyst of something that God is going to give us if we ask for it. And this thing that God's going to give us is that we are putting our wish list. We hope that there's life after death. Let's join together in prayer this morning. Dear God, as we enter into your word today, I ask that you would speak into our hearts Lord God, there's a lot of joy that's happening at the Christmas time. There's a lot of pain. There are mixed feelings. There are wish lists. There are hopes. And Lord, we pause from all of that today just to take a few moments to look into your good word. And we're asking, Spirit, that you would show us that there's something to hope for. Hope for and the fact that there's something after our life, that something matters, that our life on earth matters, God. Show us that today through your word. Pray in your great name. Amen. So today we're going to explore this topic in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And 1 Thessalonians is, uh, let me give you some background, is they've got a church here and Paul, who is the author of this, he is a church planter and he is a church mobilizer. So church planting is not new to Mosaic Church. 
Uh, they did it a long time ago. And so what Paul would do, we'd call him a missionary. So he would go into a place and he would tell the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would establish a group of believers and he'd say, are you good? Cool. Now I've got to go. And so then he would go off to send up another group. So imagine the first time you've heard all of this information about Jesus and about God and how he saved you. And now you guys are just gathering together like, so what are we going to talk about, right? So Paul would write correspondence letters back because he would get feedback of what's happening in his different churches. So he was the first franchiser that we see in the Bible. So he's having these correspondence letters, and what was happening is each church was in a different location going through different things or struggles. And so the church in Thessalonica was a Gentile convert, which means non-Jewish converts. So for those who were coming to Christianity, there's two, two things that were happening. One, the Jewish people had to understand Christ as their Messiah that was prophesied about. We heard that a Messiah was coming. They had to believe he was the chosen Messiah. And they now had to lay down their cultural background, their family history, and all of that to take on the new way of things that Jesus said, I've come to make things new. So Jesus has a new way for them to live their lives. They changed their entire landscape, and you can imagine how hard that was. Imagine me coming and trying to change one of your traditions on Christmas morning. It's not going to go well, because whatever you do on Christmas is wrong. My traditions are right. So, so we, I'm just totally kidding. Like, oh, there's like booze. I'm like, I'm totally kidding. Your traditions are great. So here are our Jewish friends. The Gentiles over here were worshiping all these other gods with all their different ways of doing things. So they did not know the Jewish god named Yahweh. They had thousands and thousands of other gods that they prayed to for all sorts of different things, depending on which region they were in. So the Jewish people here, we have to change the way that we are thinking. Even though it's the same God, we have a new way of going. The Gentiles were like, what are you talking about, that there's only one God and Jesus is the only way? And so they're working through those struggles. And so the truth is, both groups are having struggles. And so when you read Paul's letters, that's some of the the, the vibe and the feel that you'll get depending on the church that he's writing to. So this church in particular is a Gentile convert. They're introduced to Christ, Paul sets him up, and now he goes away. And so in that, he starts to write about some things that are getting cloudy and a little messed up because just like any of us, as soon as I'm done talking to you, you get into the car and you only remember bits and pieces of what I said, depending like, you may fixate on the fact that I said, wait, did Jason say he kicked his dog? And you're going to put that on social media later. I do not kick my dog. I love my dog. But you're going to focus on one piece or hear a few things, and then cloudiness is going to start to come. Like, wait, what did he say? Or, and then you start to go back to what is comfortable. Anytime you do something new, we like to go back to what is comfortable. And so this was the same thing with these new Christian converts. There's this new way of living, but there's this old way of living and starting to get muddied and clouded. So Paul is writing to start to explain with some clarity what is really going on with this new way in Christ. That brings us to our passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. If you want to read in Bibles or Bible apps, uh, you can read along also on the screen behind me. It says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, 
who are yet until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Jesus starts to make this statement when he's with his disciples. And he starts talking about in the Gospels of the first five books of the New Testament, we see Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching that he is going to come again. This is a very, very important topic. And for the new church that was being formed, there were two topics that they talked about the most. Very, very important topics. One, that Jesus rose from the dead. They talked about the resurrection nonstop because the resurrection was proof that Jesus wasn't just a man. He was who he said that he was. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then this is all moot anyways because he said he was going to and then God's son is now glorified by the power of God that he is not a dead uh, prophet or a dead human or a dead good person. He is an alive son of God that God rose again, the resurrection. Secondly, and very important to the early church was that Jesus was going to come again for them. Now, this is what happens with anything because now we're starting to get things a little bit cloudy again. It gets cloudy because they believed that Jesus was coming back for them, that nobody was going to die before they were going to see Jesus and be resurrected in their form and be taken back with their king. You can understand why this would be confusing. There's some passages that kind of allude to this, but it was taken completely out of context. The context in which Jesus is teaching us today is that the important fact is that when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to take care of sin. Sin is going to be defeated on the cross. He comes back as the king that vanquishes and puts, says it's enough and it's over. This time when he comes back, he is the king. And the king is coming for his people. King is coming for his people. And so the early church, as they're starting this out, they're taking this teaching, they're saying, okay, like, let's be ready. Because Jesus said we need to be ready. And so they were always talking about what does it look like for us to be ready. Now, knowing that the resurrection was important and knowing that the return of Christ is important, these two topics are melded together in which they said, we are going to rise again, and none of us are going to die because Jesus died for us. Now we don't have to die. That's not exactly true. Because now all of these stories are starting to get blended together. So Paul gives this passage to give some clarity here because the early Christians started dying, and people in their church were dying. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. What is going on? Is this... Jesus thing's still true, because you imagine if you had a core belief that started to get shaken about God, and this core belief for them that they are not going to die, but Jesus is coming back starts getting shaken when people in their church con congregation start passing away. And so fear, uh, mis uh, misunderstanding, confusion is now running through the church, and Paul says, hey, let me just share with you guys, slow down, we don't want to be mistaken about what is really happening. So what assurance, what assurance do they have? What hope can they find in the fact that the death of Christ and him coming again actually are going to matter for them? 
Inside of this one passage are four very clear, very strong, four beautiful points that I'm going to bring out to you today. Because within these four points, these are four amazing Christmas presents on your wish list in which we can start to ask and wish for the things that matter, for the things that transform us. Because if you can understand, if you can hold into your heart and you can believe in these four points, everything changes in the way that you view death. Because for us, as humans, we were born, you are a child, you move into your teenage years, and then you become a young adult. At your young adult, you move into your 30s. You then move into that midlife crisis phase, which I'm so lovingly in right now, in which I'm looking at my timeline, which says there's less forward than backwards. And so I am coming to grips with this idea that even though I still think I'm 18 years old, I'm not. Inside of my mind, I still feel immortal in some ways, but yet around me, I'm seeing more death and destruction and sickness and ailment. I'm seeing my friends riddled with cancer. I'm seeing people that I went to school with, friends of mine, family members moving closer towards that. I'm seeing family age. I'm seeing this and I'm gripping it saying, wait a minute, whoa, 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 slow this train down. This is going way too fast. And if you, anyone younger than me, if you're in your 20s or 30s, you'll hear this phrase often from us who are a little further along the journey than you. And I didn't believe it. It goes so fast. You'll hear anybody say that, it goes so fast. And I remember people telling me, it goes so fast, enjoy the phase that you're in. And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm up at two in the morning with a screaming baby. That screaming baby just puked all over me. I now am cleaning up vomit at 2.30 in the morning. As I put that baby back down, that baby's now screaming because it has a fever. And I'm holding that baby, I'm putting it down, and I get asleep maybe two to three hours after two to three hours of sleep. Now I've got to get up and go to work. You're telling me this is an awesome phase? Yes. <laughs> because you haven't had teenagers yet. <laughs> Each phase is hard. Each phase is beautiful. And when we look at the concept of what God's going to tell us inside of the scriptures, we don't have to look at the end as some terrible train wreck that we're going down the freeway at 70 miles an hour and we're getting closer to the wall that's going to be there. And like crash test dummies, we're going to smash into it and we're terrified of what's going to happen at that moment. Because Paul's going to teach us in this passage in four beautiful points that actually, guys, this is just the beginning. And we're going to get into that passage today. First of all, first point, because of the gospel, we have hope in death. Because of the gospel, we have hope in death. Let me read the passage again for you, 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For so much of the culture, especially within the Gentile culture, the way that they would go through a death was one of absolute misery and mourning, 
Some different groups of people would take whips and cut themselves, beating themselves over and over again to show how miserable they were in their grieving. Some of them would go and actually have sacrifices of actual humans, depending on how pagan their culture were. There was so much pain and suffering that they would go through because they knew and believed that this was it. This is it. This is the absolute end of everything we do. However, Jesus comes and he says, you are saved, those who know the gospel, which means I've given my life to the one who's the only one who can save me from my sin, Jesus Christ. If you believe in me, this is not an end point. This is actually the beginning point. And so we go from death to alive. We go from no hope to full hope. We go from, I don't know what tomorrow brings, to actually tomorrow could be better. Think about that. Tomorrow could be better. Now again, work with me on this. I'm just doing my counseling with you with my midlife crisis issues. I am now realizing, man, this place isn't so great. I'm starting to understand that life is really, really hard. And I'm starting to embrace that there's nothing you can give me that satisfies me. Except a new Ford F-150. We'll talk about that later. No. <laughs> a new truck is going to rust. That new toy is going to break. That huge aircraft carrier is going to sit and get dusty. There's nothing that satisfies me. And anything I receive inside of this world is like water. I drink it and I'm satisfied for a moment, but then it's gone. And so then what happens in midlife crisis, and those who've been there, um, thank you for your wisdom of saying, knock it off and grow up, Jason. I appreciate that. Um, I, I'm trying to find what is it that can satisfy. And the truth is, there's absolutely nothing. For those who are younger and listening today, if you listen to these words I'm sharing with you, maybe you won't make the mistakes that myself and many in this room have made. Because if I had embraced the fact of this in my 20s, I would have pursued and sought and fought after the things that matter for eternity over trying to make a name for myself. I would have focused on things that last forever as opposed to things that Jesus said, don't store for yourself treasures on earth. They're going to rust and go away. Store for yourself treasures in heaven. I didn't hear that in my younger age. Now I'm like, okay, second half, the whistle blew. What if my first half looked like that as well? And so as I'm processing this, and I'm thinking about the fact that it, because of the gospel, I have hope and death, I now look at it through a different way. If Jesus really came to save me, if he is the good shepherd, if there is a God that has given everything to bring humanity back to himself, I have to start to believe that sin is terrible, which we all can say. Sin is terrible. It's ruining everything. Life without sin and life with God is got to be so much better than what's happening right now. And so this was the message that Paul is trying to get out, that understand that the gospel changes everything. Because Jesus has died, we do not have fear in death. Because we and him, because he died and rose again, you die and rose again. You get to have the inheritance he gets. Now, we don't deserve it because death is the result of sin, but Jesus didn't sin, so he took it for us, and now we actually have hope. We have hope that the perfectly human and perfectly 
uh, God's son, both God and human, came together at Christmas time. And so Christmas time is actually the focal point of the celebration of many things. But here's a beautiful focal point. You have hope and don't have to be afraid of death because that baby came in a manger. That baby in a manger changed everything. It's the beginning of a story and a flow in which so many things are defeated, but we as humans do not have to be terrified of that end. In fact, more so, we should see, as it, see it as the beginning of something that God has worked so hard to offer us. Unbelievable way to think about it. We are going to die, but we are going to live again. Not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, simply because of the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Point two, Christ followers have a different outlook on this. Christ followers have a different outlook on death. There's such a huge difference when I do a funeral between believers and non-believers. And I don't know if you've had the opportunity to go to either one of those uh, funerals, so let me just share with you what it looks like. For those who are believers, I sit down with the family. It usually consists, get this, there's tears, but there's laughter. There's stories being told, and they're joyous. There's remembrances which are full of joy and giving life to others. They say, Let's, we want to have a worship service uh, I, I don't want, my, my friend didn't want like all about him. What he wanted is he wanted there to be joy and there to be worship and God to be glorified because he would want us to know he's not here, he's with his master. And so a funeral for believers looks completely different than for those who have no hope. And let me tell you what those look like. I sit down with the family. There's a darkness in the room. That darkness in the room is it's all over. There's, there is nothing else. It's just done. Dad had lived his life. His life is over. And we start to share stories. Like, tell me some stories about remembering your dad. And I tell you, a lot of times I hear stories I can't repeat because the laughter comes from darkness. Hey, remember when dad did fill in the blank and there's pain in the story and they kind of giggle about it? What it was about how he did something bad to him? Or, hey, do you remember that one time when Aunt Mary did fill in the blank, and they're like, yeah, man, that was terrible. And then they'll kind of tell some stories, but it's awkward and stuff I'll never say in church, right? And I go to the funeral, I do the funeral, and they're like, uh, just read some Bible verses for us or something, or just make us feel better. And friends, I don't go to those funerals and say, hey, don't worry, your aunt is now in the heavens with the clouds and angels and harps and all those things that they want to hear. When I go to those, I give comfort and I love, but I always say that the hope that we have in eternity rests in Jesus Christ. And right then and there, I share the hope in Christ to know that there is an answer for us. And when we look at death from a different aspect, when we look at it as something that God had worked so hard and done so much to free us of, because yes, there will be a physical death, but then that is not the end. That is just the beginning we look at it completely different. And we hold out this hope that we are going to be united again, both with Christ. And wouldn't it be crazy? Well, how think of how awesome this would be. I, I just, let's just dream for a second that you got to be next door neighbors with that Christian you hate. You ever think about that? There's Christians you don't like. I know that. There's Christians I don't like. 
And we think about this from the aspect of, wait, if there's eternity, and there's eternity, and wait, everybody who calls on Jesus will be saved, but I don't like those people. If you know anything about God, that's not how he rolls. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There will be so many people there, you're shocked, right? Like, wait, Janice got in? Are you kidding me? I think when we are in eternity, that's not going to be our viewpoint. In fact, when we're in eternity and we see God Almighty and you realize that you do not belong there, you're going to, it's not going to be about I belong here and they don't. You're going to be, hey, Janice, how did we get here is what you're going to say. It changes your entire viewpoint. And from the eternal perspective, we are all broken, messed up sinners in need of a Savior. And so now our outlook on death shifts that we get to be there. We get to be in the presence of God. We get to have Jesus as our king. And all of that stuff that we hold now is going to transition, friends. Because now in the glory of the master, sin is defeated. Everything that's broken is gone. It's made beautiful instead of what we deal with today. Imagine the beauty of what that looks like and the hope that we have in that gospel. But I don't want to go past this without recognizing something, and that's this. Uh, The church does a terrible job of teaching you how to grieve. The church in general, hopefully we're a little bit better, the church in general has done this idea that we're going to give you a couple Bible verses, we're going to tell you don't worry about it, everything's better at the end, now just feel better, and I'm here to tell you it doesn't work that way. And if that was been your story within the church world, let me apologize for the Christian cliche garbage that we sometimes spit out of our mouth because we're awkward and we don't know what to say. Here's what is true. God has called us to grieve and grieve deeply, and you don't have to have a timeline. You go at your time the way you are and listen to God and the Master. I have grieved over things for years, and I'm still grieving over some things now, and some things I've grieved over a short time, and I was okay. There is no timeline. And you don't have to just throw Bible verses on stuff and say, well, just listen to this verse so you feel better. Yes, there is hope and truth in the Word of God. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, my friends, is you don't have to microwave grief. In fact, we believe so much in that. On December 21st, you heard about it, Longest Night. We have created a service for people to come and say, you know what, I don't like Christmas joy that much. I'm hurting too deep. We recognize that pain. We recognize that there's hurts. Yes, we have hope in the future. We have hope in death. It's not about losing hope. It's about the pain of loss. And loss hurts. And we've done such a poor job. I'm so sorry. Let's change that narrative And let's be actually people who walk with each other and walk in grief and walk in pain, no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be loss of life. It can be loss of job. It can be the loss of a relationship. It can be a transitional life in which there's so much pain. Grief is a real thing. The Bible talks about it. His people cry all the time, and they cry out to God, and they're confused, and they're hurt, and they're frustrated. And one of my favorite things of the Psalms is that you'll see the authors and David, they'll write and say, I'm just so angry and frustrated, and this is my terminology, and I don't know what's going on, but you are God, and today all I have is trust in you. That's sometimes all you have in the middle of grief, is that all I've got is I just have to trust you. And I've said some words, I'm like, I I hate this, 
I don't like this. This is the wrong choice. I've said things and I've sat down with him. And you know what? In those moments, there's this thing of my grief when I come to that point of trust that gives me the hope and that hope leads that there's more. If I did not believe that there was more, the brokenness of what I'm sitting in at that moment would overwhelm me and break me to the point of dark bitterness, which makes me hate you, hate humanity, hate God. But the hope that I have makes me love God, love you, and even in my darkness of grief, cling on to love because I know the good shepherd and I trust him even though I don't like this. If you're new to Christianity or, or still exploring, maybe that's something you haven't heard before. We don't always like the way life goes and the things God brings us to. Sometimes I really don't like it. In fact, I'll give you a whole lot of four years that I haven't liked. But he's good. And I trust him. And that's what I hold on to with all of my heart and with all of my life. So I want to encourage you, friends, if you are struggling in grief in any way, join us on December 21st. I am going to be there and it has been water to my soul for three years. I invite you to join us as well. Point number three, Christ is coming again for his followers. Jesus' death and resurrection gives us hope in death. And then the second part is that he is coming again for his followers. Listen to this passage again, verse 15. According to the Lord's will, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive or left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. To clarify the confusion of the believers, Paul starts to explain what Jesus was teaching, and he says, uses the term fallen asleep. This is a debated term among theologians, debated term. Like, what exactly did he mean? Uh, there's lots of thoughts. This is the best thought that I saw uh, as they put it together from some different theologians. Uh, the word asleep and how this is processing is a transitional phase. That there is a transition that happens, it's not an end point. The word asleep means that there is something that is yet coming. So for those who are dead, uh, that word there wouldn't really make sense in how he's describing this. The word asleep looks at it like this. When you go to sleep, and let's pretend you actually have a good sleep and don't wake up 17 times like I do, you get a good sleep. You wake up and it is a new day. In that new day, when you went to sleep, it was dark. When you wake up in the morning, depending on what time you wake up, there's a new day. The sun is rising. That new sun and that new rising is a new chapter in that day. And that chapter is yet to be written. And the day before is now done. You cannot go back into that chapter. You cannot change the day in which you fell asleep in. That day is done and chronicled. And now you move into a transition that is a new day. And in a beautiful way, this transition, he talks about this idea that in death, the body is gone to sleep. The soul is no longer with the body, and now there's a new chapter. There's a new chapter in which the body remains, the soul is gone, and now there's going to be a time in which God now takes the soul and slaps it back together in the body. Now, why does he do that? That's, I'm not God, so I'm not going to answer that question, but here's some thoughts. The glory of God is meant to be shown through all things. And one of the questions I, I hear often, like, what about people who were 
you know, who are buried at sea or drowned? Or what about cremation? How can God put this all together again? What if your parts are sprinkled all over the place? What if this happens? What if, guys, he's God. In Genesis, he takes dust and he forms man out of dust and he breathes life into it. And many believe that breath of God is where soul comes from, this eternity that God breathes into this creation he called man, and now we are eternal beings like him. But now things change because of sin. Now the dust is cursed, and so we go back into dust. The God of the universe can breathe you back into the dust. And the beautiful story of this is God's triumphant return. When Jesus comes, the picture here is that you're going to see every believer of all time. If we're still alive, every believer of all time, according to the word, we brought back together just like in the Garden of Eden. And then they're going to rise up and be with Christ. Now that is going to be trippy. This isn't like zombie apocalypse. It's not going to look like that. We're not going to be freaked out. It's not going to be that. It's going to be the power of God manifested. So imagine if you're a believer and you're like, oh, it is go time, right? And then all the believers, because they will be risen up first, and then all of the believers who are still alive. And may Jesus come in our time. Amen? If he comes again in our time, then we do not go through that bodily death. There's the escape that we're all trying to find, right? Like, I don't want to die in my bodily death. I understand that, but we're still going through the same transition. Because now the body and soul are brought together. They're risen up for the purpose of Jesus showing his power and majesty of what he has done through the gospel. What will that look like when millions and billions of humans are going to be saved and meet Christ in the sky? I want to see that and I'm going to. And as this happens in this moment, and this triumphant uh, trumpet of Christ comes, it's the beginning of the end. Imagine if you aren't a believer at that time, and you're watching this happen. Two things are going to happen. Either you're going to call out to God to save you, or you're going to curse God to his face. Because we look in the, new, in the Revelation, we look at end times, and there is a war that starts, and sin is running rampant. We won't get into that, because I know everyone's like, let's talk about Revelation. Not today, but... Think of this, friends, the joy and peace knowing that if you pass, you are not forgotten. You're not forgotten. You aren't gone. You're transitioned. And so for the believers, they're like, wait a minute, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Remember, this is Thessalonica. Jesus hasn't come back yet. What about Aunt Macy who passed? He's saying, hey, you are misunderstanding what Jesus said. Everybody is caught up with Christ. We are all going to be reunited together again. And there's a triumphant sound of victory. And God is going to be booming through all the earth and say, it is finished. And then God's people are brought back together. Or you just believe you die and nothing happens. I don't know about you. I like option one. Why would you live your life if anything other than selfishness, if this is it? If this is the end point, why would I just get everything I can from it? Why be charity? Why give to help? Why help the poor? Why do any of that? It's all about me. Because if this is the end of my life, I got to live life, life to my fullest because YOLO. You only live once. And if I'm going to YOLO my life, 
Why should I interpret your life for anything? And doesn't it sound a lot like our culture today? That we're moving into this individualistic way of thinking in which my life is all about me. But in fact, in Christ, my life matters for eternity. So now my life is given as a sacrifice to others. And now the joy of giving is so much greater than the darkness of myself. The joy of going out and the hope I have in death and the hope in eternity gives me hope as opposed to just putting my head in the sand saying, this is terrible, I can't do this anymore. That is the joy of the gospel because he is coming back for all of his believers. Finally, fourth point, final point, be encouraged. This is probably the weirdest Christmas message you've ever heard. But we're making a wish list. And I love this. Be encouraged. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I'm here to encourage you today that you will be with the Lord forever. That's verse number 17. You will be with the Lord forever. For those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, you will be the Lord forever. For those of you who are afraid of death, do not be afraid. It's just a transition for what is coming ahead. There is just a transition happening. You're just going to sleep. Go take a nap. Wake up. It's way better. You don't want to come back here. If you are scared, stop being afraid because the good shepherd is the one who laid down his life and set this whole plan for you. Do you think he'd do all this to make it miserable? He didn't do that. He made it because he's amazing and he has come to save us. The joy that God has done, given to us through the cross, through his death, through his resurrection, through his coming again. Friends, be encouraged today. That is how much God loves you and that's why Christmas matters. It is not about your plastic toys. It's not about your tradition. It's not about that super dry German Stalin that you guys eat. I just don't get that. And I'm part German, man. I just don't get it. It's not about all the stress. It's not about the traveling. It's not about your mothers-in-laws and fathers-in-law. It's not about your friends. It's not about your girlfriends or boyfriends. It's not about anything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that baby that's coming in a manger has set into motion something only that baby could do, which was to save you. And not only, friends, did he save you, he has offered you eternal life. And he has come to save you and said, you get to be with me. And that baby in the manger is going to grow to become the man who would be beaten, who would be flogged because of your sin, and then he'd be put on a cross when he did nothing wrong. He's paying the punishment for you so that you can have hope tomorrow. So I say to you today, my friends, I think we've got our list is growing. We asked for a leader who would care and love us. We got that. Check mark. Today we're asking for hope. We're asking that there is hope, that there's life after death. Check mark. Let's take our Christmas list this year and circle all those as many times as we can. And if you ask the Lord Jesus Christ for it, you're going to get it for Christmas this year. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.